Billy Graham said, a good father is one of the most unsung, unpraised, unnoticed, and yet one of the most valuable assets in our society. Hmm. I agree with that. See, I think fathers are even more important than mothers because I am a father. <laughs> On Mother's Day, we'll say mothers are the most important, but today we get to say fathers are the most important because that's what I'm called to do. So, if, you know, if a mother was up here preaching to her, mothers would probably be more important. So we'll say it that way. Fathers are very important. Um, but thank God that no matter what our earthly father was like, maybe he was great. and Maybe he gave, maybe your dad made it easy for you to believe in a God and to trust in a God and to know his love. And maybe your dad made that real hard for you. And if so, I'm sorry for that. But either way, you have a heavenly father that can use it and work it all together for good. We're going to talk about some of that stuff today. Um, and we're going to talk about the importance of fathers and being fathers. And even if you don't have any natural kids, you're not off the hook, right? You're supposed to be fathering the people around you. As Christians, fathering and mothering and mentoring, and you can say it all different ways, but you can't just, don't just check out and say, well, I'm not a father, I'm not a, so I'm not listening to this, or my kids are grown, so I'm done. No, you're not. So, Today, I'm, I'm jumping in too quick. We're going to be in Joshua 1, and I want to talk to you about fathers. And maybe yours was bad, and maybe he was good, and maybe he was fun. Maybe he was scary. Maybe your dad was safe. and Maybe your dad was dangerous. But one thing I could bet on is that he probably messed up in one way or another. I could guarantee it. He probably messed up. I don't know how or how big or how bad, but he probably messed up. You know how I know? Because most of y'all's fathers were human. Most. I'm not positive about some of y'all, but most of you. look. Your father was a human, so I'm sure he probably messed up in one way or another. Right? Because we're flawed and we're humans. And I even messed up one time. Or... Today, or in the last few minutes <laughs> since worship ended, we're humans. But I have good news. You have a heavenly father. And I feel like I'm supposed to tell somebody today that he's pleased with you. And he will catch the ball everywhere that your earthly father dropped it. See, he wants to heal you. He would cross an ocean for you. An ocean full of orange soda. You know what they call an ocean full of orange soda? A fantasy. <laughs> it's a dad joke. It's Father's Day. I'm supposed to slip in dad jokes. It's called a fantasy because it's not real. <laughs> much like the things that keep you adrift. Can I tell you today that you can trust him? Don't ever trust atoms. They make up everything. But you have a father that you can trust. And he's pleased with you. So we all know 
Joshua. Probably we've heard the stories about Joshua, the great leader or father of the children of Israel. Joshua was their great leader. And when Moses couldn't get them into the promised land and finally Moses passed away, Joshua was the one that had to step up and take over. And you know, from what we see, Joshua, he played his role. He was one of the spies that got sent in to spy out the land and he did his things. But, but the information we get about Joshua was that he was a servant to Moses. He wasn't the leader. He wasn't like he just served Moses and served his people well. And and we know that Joshua became this great leader. You could argue that he was one of the greatest leaders that Israel has ever known because he actually walked them into the promised land, land that was promised to them 500 years before to their father Abraham. He's the one that actually got them in there. And then he led them into battle and took all these cities and and actually took the land so you can make a pretty good argument that Joshua was the greatest leader that the children of Israel had ever known Joshua was a great leader father to the children of Israel and I want to look at today for a few minutes just as as we're getting started I want to look at God giving him his rite of passage, as if you will. Like right after Moses died and, and God's giving it to him and saying, hey, here's what I want you to do. And God tells him what to do, that he's going to be with him. Look at Joshua 1, verse 1. Now after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, it came to pass that the Lord spake unto Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' minister, saying, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore arise, go over this Jordan, thou and all this people, unto the land which I do give to them, even to the children of Israel. And every place that the sole of your foot shall tread upon, that have I given unto you, as I said unto Moses. Okay, um... He's not just a follow-up to Moses. Like, that would have been hard enough. Because they were slaves for 400 years. And Moses showed up and got them out of slavery with all kinds of miracles and signs and wonders. And, and then the Egyptian army chased them down to kill them. And then Moses, he pulls off another miracle by listening to God and walks them across the sea. Moses did some pretty incredible things. Moses had kept them alive all these 40 years you know, by his connection with God. He was getting them food and a fire by night to keep them warm and a cloud by day. Like, that's pretty tough to step into those shoes, right? To fill those shoes. And the very first thing God tells Joshua, as if that wasn't hard enough, was, here's what I want you to do. The one thing that Moses couldn't do. Take them into the promised land. What? Man, I'm just getting started. As I don't know how to do that. Moses couldn't even do that. And he was awesome. I don't even know if I can lead good. Imagine how Joshua must have been feeling in this moment. Right? He hadn't been leading. And, and God tells him, I want you to do the one thing that the most awesome man you've ever known or heard of couldn't do. Now you got to do it. Lead all these people over the river and into the promised land. Man, that's tough. 
Look what God says to him. That's what I want you to do. Verse, where did I leave off? Verse 4. From the wilderness and this Lebanon, even unto the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites and unto the great sea toward the going down of the sun shall be your coast. There shall not any man be able to stand before thee all the days of thy life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with thee. I will not fail thee, nor forsake thee. Be strong and of good courage. For unto this people shall you divide for an inheritance the land which I swear unto their fathers to give them. So God tells him right there in verse 6, God tells him, first off, we read what he wanted him to do. And then in that verse, God tells him, be strong and courageous and add value to the people. Right? You're going to give them the land. You're going to give them the inheritance. I need you to be strong. I need you to have some courage. And you're going to bless all the people. That's what a leader does. That's what a father, that's what a leader, a, a parent, it's going to take some courage. It will take some strength. And we're going to add value to everyone. Only be thou strong and very courageous. I know, God, you already told me that courage part. Yeah, well, you need it. I'm going to say it again. He repeats himself multiple times. Have courage. Be very courageous. That thou mayest observe to do according to all the law which Moses, my servant, commanded thee. Turn not from it to the right hand or to the left, that thou mayest prosper whithersoever thou goest. This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. For then shalt make thy way prosperous, and then shalt thou have good success. Have not I commanded thee? Be strong and of good courage. He tells him again, be strong and of good courage. Be not afraid, neither be thou dismayed. For the Lord thy God is with thee, whithersoever thou goest. I love how God tells him right there, don't be afraid and don't be dismayed. Right? There's going to be fear. He, he's going to be scared. They're about to face some crazy things and he's about to lead a whole bunch of crazy people. But God didn't say don't feel afraid. Right? God said don't be afraid. Don't let that be who you are. Don't let that, don't let your fear determine what you do. You're going to feel afraid. Right? I mean, every time God's asked me to step out in faith, fear was there. Otherwise, it wouldn't have been faith. But I was scared to take the step, and that's when God asked for faith. So fear, every time faith has shown up in my life, fear was there. I think they're married. Fear and faith sleep in the same bed, I guess. They're always there at the same time, every time. But I can't be afraid. I can't let the fear determine what I do next or what I don't do next. I have to know that God's with me so that I can obey His voice. God didn't say don't feel afraid. He said don't be afraid. 
Don't act out of fear. Don't do something or not do something because of fear. We must be brave. You can feel afraid and be brave at the same time. Did you know that? That's where bravery, that's courage, that's where it comes from. You feel afraid and then you decide to do something different than what your feelings are telling you to do. See, sometimes courage is a quiet voice inside your heart at the end of a fight. And it simply says, try again. Courage says at the end of a long day, get some sleep. And tomorrow, try again. See, the voice of courage tells me to keep on going sometimes. It tells me don't give up. No, never give up. I know you're hurting. I know you lost. I know you're scared. And your fears are real. But you will win if you don't quit. You will reap if you don't faint. Just get back up. I've decided that I'm too grown up to give up. Kids give up. And coaches and fathers and mothers and mentors teach them not to quit. Right? Little kids are ready to throw in the towel and quit and give up when one bad thing happens or when they're playing a, a sporting event and it starts to rain and they get cold, they're ready to just walk off the field. And then the more mature adults, the coaches, the father on the sideline, who you're telling those kids, don't give up now. See, now's when you hunker down. Now's when you're going to suffer through it. You're going to be there for your team. You're going to do what you got to do. Kids that just quit and give up, it's immaturity. But as we mature, we learn not to quit, not to give up every time something hard happens. We don't faint, but we press on. Look what Paul said. Um, I don't remember. Paul said in 1 Corinthians, I knew Paul said it. 1 Corinthians 13, 11. When I was a child, I spake as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. So, it's to understand that word where Paul said... To, I understood as a child. It's to understand, to reason, or to estimate. Paul said, yeah, when I was immature, when I was a child, I estimated like a child. I understood things like a child. And he's saying to the, to the Corinthians, you know, some of y'all are still estimating like children. You're supposed to be growing and maturing and growing up. How does a child estimate? When a child estimates, it's not about the future. It's all based on feelings. Go up to a little kid and ask them what they need. They're probably not going to tell you what they really need. Not even, I mean, ask Sky, what do you need to survive? Good Wi-Fi, some talkies, 
slushies. Right, he's not gonna. T- he's probably not gonna tell you like, make sure I get a balanced meal with vegetables, and uh, make sure I get some good exercise, and I, uh, you know, I have the money to pay the power bill. What little kids aren't thinking about that? They think about what I feel, what I want, what tastes good, what feels good, what doesn't feel good. I don't want spanked. I do want candy. Right? That's to estimate like a child. It means you only think about what you feel and what you want. So you're basing your decisions on what you feel like rather than what's best for you. Rather than what's going to get you where you want to go in the future, you just base your feelings on, well, it would taste good to eat a whole bag of candy right now instead of vegetables. And you're not thinking about how bad a shape you're going to be in the future or how bad you're going to feel in just a little while from eating all that sugar. But as we mature and as we grow into adults and as we start to father and mentor people coming up under us, and I'm talking about in the natural, but I'm talking about spiritually. It's the same. Paul was saying it's the same. We begin to estimate. We begin to think about the future. And I feel angry in this moment, but if I act on that feeling, what's it going to do to the future? What's it going to do to this relationship? What's it going to do to these younger ones that are watching me and then they'll learn that that's okay to act on a feeling in a moment and then that's called estimating like a child because it's just what I feel like doing. Most, a lot of sin is that. It's what I feel like doing right now in this moment. Don't care if it's going to hurt me or anybody else. I'm getting a lot of trouble. Estimating like a child. But as we mature, as a dad, I can say no. That's not what I need and that's not what you need, son. And if we're growing spiritually, then what we want starts to change. Right? We start to want what we need. It becomes our, our desire because we know what it's doing for us and where it's getting us. One of the scariest things I've ever encountered as a pastor, and there's a lot of them, is children in adult bodies. It terrifies me. Y'all sit in my office for counseling, and it's, it's people that have never grown up, but they got adult bodies, money, and driver's license. It's the most dangerous thing you can imagine. And we can all laugh because none of us think it's us, but it is most of y'all. Right? I mean, <laughs> they're all idiots, but it's really, it's you too. And it's been me in some areas. Like, and when we don't grow up, but we have the power, the strength, the authority, the driver's license, the money, all these things. But then if we've not grown up, we've not healed from past hurts and brokenness. And we're like a kid that's estimating like a child, but yet has been given the power of an adult. I can't think of anything more dangerous. John Eldridge said, until a man knows he is a man, he will forever be trying to prove he is one. While at the same time, he will shrink from anything that might reveal he is not. Man, 
There have never been more children growing up without fathers. Barack Obama, when he was president, he did a bunch of, of research. And in a speech he gave about the U.S. specifically, he said children who grow up without a father are five times more likely to live in poverty and commit crime. They're nine times more likely to drop out of school and 20 times more likely to end up in prison. 85% of all youths in prison, that's 18 and under, they came from fatherless homes. Do you know if a man chooses to go to church that 96% of the time the rest of his family or the people that live in his house will go to church. 96% of the time. But yet Father's Day statistically is the lowest number we have in churches across the U.S. Because it's not a priority. But we have all these children growing up that need fathers. I'm not just talking, again, I'm not just talking about natural fathers. Right? There's a call on all of us. God is the ultimate father. And if you consider yourself a Christian, you are a son or a daughter of God. So you're supposed to look like God, which means you are supposed to be fathering, mentoring, growing up. I'm speaking to all of us. See, you can teach what you know but you reproduce who you are. What if I gave you a thousand piece puzzle and no picture? Like I wouldn't let you see the picture. How hard would that be to put together? Even somebody that's pretty good at puzzles, like Journey, you're pretty good at puzzles. How hard would that be if I didn't show you a picture and just gave you a thousand puzzle pieces. It's gonna take you a lot longer to do it, even if I sit there and explain to you, even if I sit there and tell you, well, this is how you do a puzzle. You find the pieces that fit properly together. And what you may wanna do, I can even give you instructions. Get all the ones that are the same color together because those will probably hook together. And then you want to look for those. And I can give you all these wonderful instructions, but if you don't have a picture, it's going to take you a whole lot longer to get that together. It's not impossible. You can still get it together, but it's going to take you a lot longer and it's going to be a lot harder. So as parents, so many times we want to just give instructions, but then we don't live it out and give a picture to our kids of what it's supposed to look like. So it's like handing them all these instructions and then don't give them a picture. You know how much harder it is for that kid to actually put this thing together and be a man, be a woman, be, to step into that without a picture? Because we say things and then we don't back them up. Well, if I ever catch you doing this, and then they know we do it. And there's no respect for that. When you tell your son the dangers of looking at pornography, and then he finds out that you do it. You're telling instructions, but then you're not giving a picture of what that looks like. When you tell him, I don't want you getting, I don't, I don't want to like look like I'm, 
pointing people out because probably everybody in this room, we can think of something. I'm not giving you a, a clear picture. I can give you instructions, but it'll be very hard and it will take you much longer if you don't have the picture. If I'm telling you, hey, don't drink, don't get drunk, and then, you know, I do it. But it's just, you know, it's just on special occasions. It's, but I'm telling you not to do it, and then you see me do it on special occasions, just at the lake and on New Year's Eve, and don't, don't cheat. What about little things like don't give up? But then they look at you as the parent and watch you give up. Like things that we don't think, don't steal, don't lie. But yet you lie to them. And then you tell them, be an honest person. See, that's called giving instructions without a picture. And it works the other way too, with good things. Like when you tell them to trust God and then you don't trust God. Now, when you tell them, like, you need to have peace in this situation, and then they see you go through a hard situation, and you don't have peace. Like, it can be good things, too, when you tell them the benefits of generosity and being a giving person, and they don't ever see you give to anybody or anything but yourself. That's giving instructions without a picture. You tell them the importance of being in church and connecting with the body of Christ. But then if they don't, they don't see it. James Baldwin said, children have never been very good at listening to their elders, but they have never failed to imitate them. Never. So even if they're not listening, you better believe they're watching. Live it. Please don't let this message beat you up. We've all messed up. Everybody's messed up or dropped the ball or done something. We, you know, we'd probably go back and change if we had it to do over again. That's not the purpose. It's to beat you up or, or condemn you or to produce shame. And there's a difference in shame and and conviction. I couldn't think of the word. <laughs> ah, there's a difference in shame and something and conviction. See, because when I'm convicted about something, it makes me feel bad about something and then I change it. I don't do it again. I'm, I'm convicted and so I make a change so that it doesn't continue happening. But if I feel shame about it, then that's not a good thing. That, that puts me in a bad place and there's no change. It can just keep happening. So please don't feel shame of any of this, if it's called you out on something or if it's shame about, you know, if your father did something that I've mentioned wrong or that's not the purpose of it. It's to make sure we just make that change. And we do it better for the people coming after us. See, being a father is something you're unqualified to do. And then you become qualified while doing it same with the mother it's really kind of weird you're not qualified to do it and then while you're doing it is when you become qualified 
lot like Joshua. When God told him to lead, he wasn't ready. I'm not qualified to take over for Moses. I can't lead him. Um, that last verse, verse 10, that we didn't read in Joshua 1, it simply says, Then Joshua commanded the officers of the people, saying, and they go on to cross over. They did. He did what God told him to do. He became a leader. He became a father to the people. Remember before Jesus started his ministry, um, when he was walking along and his cousin John the Baptist was down in the river and he said, he like called out who Jesus was, his identity, and then God booms from heaven and the Holy Spirit comes down like a dove and lands on Jesus' shoulder. And God said, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. God's giving identity to Jesus. He's confirming who he is. And, and God's saying like, this is him. This is my kid and I'm pleased with him. God's placing value on Jesus. And then Jesus starts his ministry and saved the whole world. You need to know who you are and have courage. Because if fear is leading you, then love is absent. And if love is absent, then God is absent. He'll never leave you. He's, he's always with you, but He's absent in your decision-making and in your acting and your leading and your parenting. Be strong and courageous. Fathers, mothers, mentors, leaders, Christians. This is what kids, or this is what people need to know. So three questions that beg to be answered. Do I matter? Am I valuable? Can I do it? Do I matter? Am I valuable? And can I do it? I'm going to tell you right now, you are valuable. And you need to let people around you, kids know, adults know, that they're valuable. If your dad didn't let you know, and if no one has made you believe that you are valuable, I'm sorry. But I want to spend the last few minutes of this service letting you know the power of value. Remember John 3.16? It's probably the most famous verse of scripture there is in the whole entire world for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life God so loved the world it wasn't talking about like the ball of dirt the world there means mankind humanity for God so loved you for God so loved me for God so loved humans that he gave his only son like he paid the highest price. There is no, there's no higher price. There's not a thing. There's not a person. There's not, there is nothing. He didn't have anything more valuable than his son. That's what he paid for you. So they say you can determine the worth of something by the price that someone's willing to pay for it. 
So there is nothing more valuable than you, than humans. And if you believe that Jesus died on the cross and that his blood paid for and covered your sin as Christians and that you are now a son or a daughter, that means you are equal with Jesus. And when God looks at you, he doesn't see your sin because he chooses to forgive. When he looks at you, he sees the blood of his son, the perfect lamb. So you are equal with Jesus. And that's not blasphemy. Because God chooses to not see your sin. That's how valuable you are to him. That's how valuable every person is. So you've heard it said like you've never looked into the eyes of someone that God doesn't love. Because he loves everyone. He places great value on everyone. No matter who you are, no matter what you've done, no matter how far you ran, you are valuable. Um, C.S. Lewis wrote in his book, The Weight of Glory. There are no ordinary people. You have never talked to a mere mortal. Nations, cultures, arts, civilizations, these are mortal. And their life is to ours as the life of a gnat. But it is immortals whom we joke with, whom we work with, and marry, and snub, and exploit. Immortal horrors or everlasting splendors. It's all about your perspective and how you see people. And the value that you place on people determines how you treat people. If I think you're trash, then I'm, I'm going to treat you like that. If I think you're super valuable, then I'll treat you like that. The value that you place on people determines how you treat people. It's huge. It's easy to value people that you think are valuable. All right, so you're not getting off the hook that easy. Everybody sitting in this room's got, a, you've got people that you think are value. It's easy for you to value those. I want you to think of the people that you maybe don't think are valuable. Right, that, that's going to be a little more difficult. That's the, the harder ones. Of course, you can value the ones that you already have great value on. Of course, you value people that are usually like you. Because you can overlook your own stuff, so you can overlook their stuff because it looks and smells like your stuff. Right? But there's probably a certain group that's harder for you to value than others. If I see you hurting, I feel like I'm a pretty good guy. If I see you hurting, I'll help you. If I see you as broken, I'll try to fix you. But if I see you as valuable, I will serve you. That's how it's set up. Right? For some of y'all, that could just, that right there could fix your marriage. Instead of seeing your spouse as broken and Seeing your spouse as 
hurting and trying to help and trying to genuinely trying to fix it, if you could change that and see them as valuable, of the greatest value. Because if I see you as valuable, I serve you. And I like serving you. It's worth it. I think you deserve it. Because I've placed that much value on you that I think you deserve more than I could even give. So I'll give everything. There was a time where I thought, man, people hurt you. If you let people get too close, I found out firsthand a few times. If you value people and you trust people, and then guess what? You can get hurt. So it's a whole lot easier to just put people at arm's length and to build up some walls around me and not really let anybody in. Right? And we can play the game and we, hey, how you doing? Fine. How you doing? Fine. See you next Sunday. And not really let anybody get in or get involved. And, and it's safe. Keep people at a distance so that they don't hurt me. The good news is that when you keep people away, they can't hurt you. The bad news is that they can't help you either. We're created to be in relationship and in community with each other, and you will never be all that you're called to be on your own. So if you're keeping people away and you're building up these walls and you're not willing to let people in, then guess what? They can't help you either. And so what happens is you miss out on the benefit of relationship. And God's economy is completely relational. So you will never be what God's called you to be with all these walls because of pain. Mark Twain said, if a cat sits on a hot stove, he will never sit on a hot stove again. In fact, he will not even go near a cool stove. Right? Because of some pain. He just won't go near any stove from now on. Yeah, we can't be like that. I guarantee you everybody sitting in this room has been hurt by a human. I promise. If not, I'd like to interview you after the service. That's incredible. We've all been hurt by a human, but we can't just shut off all humans because they might hurt me or I can't trust them or they, hey, she did. Okay. God calls us to trust. God calls us to place value on other people. There's a, uh, a Mexican guy that I see weekly. He gives me, he gets food for me for my pigs and he treats me really well. And he can barely speak English. But we've become like pretty good friends. Even though it's hard to it's kind of hard to communicate because he can't hardly speak any English but he looks out for me and gives me special boxes and hides them for me and stuff you know why because I value him I've given him things I bring him a drink I noticed he's, his feet were falling out of his shoes and I got him a pair of shoes and 
I got him a jacket in the winter, and he wears it. Even now, he wears it in the 90 degrees. He wears a big, giant jacket. Like, he says, it's beautiful. Beautiful. Because I place value on him as a person. I value him. And guess what? Now he loves to see me coming and tries to help me out, and, and we've become friends. When I'm around my Spanish-speaking friends, I always use the word mucho because it means a lot to them. Uh, I had to slip in some dad jokes here. Y'all know it's Father's Day. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 9, 19, that's a good spot for Scripture, and we're going to finish this thing up. Uh, 1 Corinthians 9, 19 even though I am free of the demands and expectations of everyone, I have voluntarily become a servant to any and all in order to reach a wide range of people. Religious, non-religious, meticulous, moralist, loose-living immoralist, the defeated, the demoralized, whoever. I don't take on their way of life. I kept my bearings in Christ. But I entered their world and I tried to experience things from their point of view. I've become just about every sort of servant there is in my attempts to lead those I meet into a God-saved life. I did all this because of the message. I didn't just want to talk about it. I wanted to be in on it. Right, so I became what they were. I tried to experience life from their point of view. I tried to say, hey, let me try to put myself in their shoes and think about where they're coming from. Now, he was a jerk to me, but let me think about how I would feel if I was in his situation. If I had been through what he just went through. or Paul said, I, I want to minister to him. I don't want to just talk about it and not give a picture of it. I don't want to talk about this awesome God-saved life of salvation and then not show it. Not show it to people. No, I have found if people don't like you, they probably won't like your God. If you don't value and love people and they don't see something in you that they want or something different, then why would they want to listen to you? Think what you have is not that good. What's, what's the point? Paul said, I became who they were. I tried to experience life from, from their point of view. So if you want to look like God or Jesus, then we have to value people. When we look at Jesus, we see that every time he was moved, 
when, when Jesus was around broken people or hurting people or lost people, we see that he was moved with compassion. All right, that he was, he was moved. So if we want to look like God, we want to look like Jesus. We must value people. John 14, 18 said, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Hosea 14, 3, for in you the fatherless find compassion. Ephesians 5, 1. This is what we should look like as parents. We'll close with these two verses. This is what I want to look like as a dad, as a leader, as a pastor, as a, a father, a mentor. As I grow up and I help the people around me to grow up, this is what it should look like. Watch what God does and then do it like children who learn proper behavior from their parents. Mostly what God does is love you. Keep company with Him and learn a life of love. Observe how Christ loved us. His love was not cautious but extravagant. He didn't love in order to get something from us but to give everything of Himself to us. Dads, love like that. I added in the dad's part because it's Father's Day. Love like that. We live a life of love. We place value on people. We call people to a higher standard. We put away the childish things like Paul said. We don't act on feelings. But we think about the future. And we grow. We push. When I value you, I serve you. And that starts to look a lot like Jesus. Let's pray. God, thank you. God, thank you for the fathers in all of our lives. Thank you for whatever role they played. God, today I honor all the fathers that, that are, are pouring in to children that are investing in people. I pray for all of us today that that whatever you spoke to our hearts and our minds that we would grab onto it, that we would take hold of it, that we wouldn't just hear it, but that we would do it and apply it to our lives. We want to look more like you every day. God, we love you. God, we thank you for placing such great value on each one of us. Thank you for calling us your sons and your daughters and, and for calling us to a higher level. Thank you that you love us and that there's no price that you wouldn't pay. You proved that at the cross. God, we love you. Thanks for loving us. In Jesus' name, amen.